on. And we are recording with the one and only Miss Claire Lopez on Thursday, June 30th, 2022 at 4 4 p.m. Eastern Time, episode 855, 6. I have no idea. Something. Ms. Lopez, please introduce yourself for all the new listeners. Uh, it's good to be with you again, Tommy. I'm Claire Lopez, of course, Lopez Liberty LLC, and uh, very happy to be back with you on the program again. All right. So what's going on in the world? What's dark and, and, and negative and pessimistic? And why is the world on fire? What's, uh, let's go out on a positive note before 4th of July. <laughs> Well, um, I, I, I think we, we might like to look for something more positive at the moment. Um, and, um, you know, beginning right here at home, uh, perhaps we can look at the Supreme Court and some of the decisions that have come out recently, indeed, just this past week. And uh, what, it, what it seems like, uh, if there is a theme uh, to, to their rulings, um, it, it seems that the, the new majority, if you will, on the Supreme Court, and those include, of course, the three appointments by President Donald Trump, uh, Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh and A.B. Coney, Coney Barrett, um, and then joined, of course, by Samuel Leto and uh, Clarence Thomas, and sometimes, once in a while, um, the, uh, the Chief Justice, uh, John Roberts of the Supreme Court, too. But what seems to be emerging with, with that group um, is a reorientation, a recommitment to an originalist, textualist uh, interpretation of the Constitution. In other words, take a look um, at the Roe v. Wade decision, for example, which really isn't about abortion per se. Um, it is about instead the division um, explicitly named in the U.S. Constitution um, between those enumerated powers of the federal government and all others which, according to the Constitution, uh, belong to the states uh, and or to the people. So I think that's a positive trend um, that, that this group now um, of, of, of justices on the Supreme Court are going back um, to not not the recent past, but but perhaps uh, you know some time ago, Antonin Scalia, of course, a champion of, of of that kind of interpretation of the Constitution before he died. But going back to that kind of uh, thinking, um, just one other example maybe was this decision about. Uh, the authority of the EPA, Environmental Protection Agency. Going to ask that, yeah. Right, yeah, exactly. To to make rulings um, that affect and 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 um, uh, you know obligate states to 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 certain actions. And here again, uh, and that decision was just I think today, right, earlier this morning. Um, it was a decision that. Um, that is a that is a regulatory body that does not have, you know, total authority to dictate to the various states what their state policies shall be, uh, even regarding environmental issues. So, was, I think that's a positive trend. Was the decision made? I knew it was on like the docket or whatever. Whatever. The I believe I heard that this morning that the the decision was reached that. Um, 
it is an overreach by the EPA, a, a government agency, um, to, to make um, decisions and impose obligations that are not encoded in law by the Congress, by the legislative branch. You got to give. Um, you got to give. Or by the states, um, it, it's an overreach, and 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 so those decisions um, must be returned to the states and to the people. You got to love the. You got to give kudos to their ability to spin it in the news. How the Supreme Court ruling will gut the EPA's ability to fight <laughs> the climate change. CNN, New York Times court decision leaves Biden with few tools to combat climate change. Reuters, U.S. Supreme Court limits federal power to curb carbon emissions. Yeah, okay, yeah. It's, but but are now is if I'm in my completely uh, uneducated mind, there's probably nothing I understand as little as law. But I read that the importance of I read earlier the, this week the potential of this of this outcome was that it wasn't going to be just the EPA. It was the precedent being set that is going to. Uh, no pun intended, supremely gut federal powers. Well, I mean, we have lies. to wait and see for sure. any further cases and, you know, rulings to come down. Um, it's possible, yes, that that this could be setting a precedent. And, and as I've said, I mean, the point that I'm making here um, is that it does seem this uh, group on the Supreme Court, uh, five anyway, um, maybe joined sometimes by the Chief Justice, maybe sometimes not, but, but the five anyway, um, you know, re- returning to an originalist interpretation of the, of the Constitution, um, a textualist reading of the Constitution, and that, that very well could indicate, you know, future uh, rulings to come. So I kind of want to we'll get back to the precedents being set. What about the? Because uh, a friend of mine had a good had a good uh, point last night. We were chatting, and he was like, um, "The overall response to Roe v. Wade has been relatively mild compared to you know something like summer twenty twenty, which he says is is a that's a bad sign. That means that they're scheming. That we haven't <laughs> seen it. We haven't seen the outright summer of love burn everything down." What do you think is going on? I mean, we have elected officials coming out and saying the Supreme Court is uh, is illegitimate, that we have to reject it. Uh, AOC calling to get in the streets to not, I guess, not address the, the or not, uh, I guess, not recognize the Supreme Court. What is going on there? Are we looking at another summer of love of billions of dollars of property damage and killing cops? You know, I mean, just really hard for, for us to tell. I think right now we're still kind of at the beginning of the summer, June 30th here today. Um, you know, with a lot of summer left to go, Fourth of July weekend coming up. Um, so we're, we're really going to have to see. But I mean, talk about that summer of love and uh, mostly peaceful protest stuff you know, to the Arizona uh, legislature, Senate, in this case, that was in session uh, this past week when the mob descended upon the building, banged on the doors, tried to get in, um, had to be restrained um, by by law enforcement. Um, That could repeat itself. Uh, surely, you know, th- those those who, who wanted to preserve Roe v. Wade uh, will be scheming, but 
the point is that the Supreme Court has spoken and returned, um, you know, that that um, responsibility um, to the states. And there are already states um, which had what they call trigger laws, which mm-hmm. meant that they anticipated uh, such a ruling coming from the Supreme Court, and that when it was handed down, uh, as it was this past week, that those states then would automatically enact legislation that would restrict abortions, uh, maybe um, anything before the 15th week of pregnancy and and other limitations like that. Uh, And we can see that already um, in this short period of a few days, uh, activist judges um, have already stepped in in some of those states to put a pause, a block, on some of those trigger laws, and those will be litigated uh, further. So we've got a lot of, I think, litigation, you know, a lot of, lot of activity in the courts coming up. Um, but in the end, I mean, the Supreme Court has spoken on this, and however long it takes to sort it all out in these various states, the authority uh, has, ret- has returned um, to the states, which means to the local level where uh, the connection between the people and those whom they elect to office is a lot closer than between them and the federal government. Can we uh, speculate wildly and think about what are these? Because there's been three recent cases, right? The concealed carry, if I'm correct, Roe v. Wade, and now EPA. Could we predict any future cases, or is this maybe a couple of shockwaves back to back? Back to back to back. Um, well, let, let me add one more case that just came to mind for me, and that was um, the ruling in this case by the New York State Supreme Court um, that ruled that a state law uh, passed by the New York State Legislature, oh yeah, uh, permitting Illegal. illegal aliens, non-citizens, uh, to vote in local elections, was unconstitutional. So, I mean, once again, if we're going to predict, if there's a theme, this is what, what I'm you know, thinking about today here, um, is a return to originalism, to textualism, gotcha. to a reading of the Constitution at the Supreme Court level anyway, um, based on uh, original construction, original text. And then that uh, fifth one, that uh, the football football one oh, right? right out in new uh, in uh, washington state yeah, yeah right the football coach that was I, like wasn't allowed to pray on the field after out of whatever it was was you can't they the i guess the limitations that were put on that were deemed unconstitutional because it's a violation of the first amendment mm-hmm. so yeah it's i would say that's five for five seemingly all pretty close together that have been well yeah. but, you know there's always a flurry of um decisions handed down at the end of the term and indeed, this is just before Fourth of Got July. It. This is the end of, you know, this term of, of of the Supreme Court, and then they go into summer recess. So, it, it it's typical that that you know, the theory of, of of rulings uh, is handed down um, at at this point in the calendar. So, am I am I naive to think that that if there are any challenges to uh the 4 a.m. ballot drops in the coming midterms 
that they will actually make it to the Supreme Court, unlike 2020, where they were just shot down and said, no case is possible. Is it, or am I just, am I hanging on to a, to a sunk ship? Well, I, I don't know that those cases necessarily will make it to the Supreme Court. A number of states, quite a number of states, um, you know, have uh, enacted new legislation in the wake of uh, what went on in November of 2020 to, to, to ban things like uh, ballot drop boxes, mail-in balloting, to, um, uh, to demand, uh, to, to, to legislate the, uh, the requirement for voter ID, for example. And I'll add something else. Um, and that is that, you know, after Dinesh D'Souza's movie, 2000 Mules um, came out, a number of places, sometimes we're talking about counties like Yuma County, for example, in, in Arizona, sometimes, you know, a bigger jurisdiction, a state have opened investigations. Yeah. I mean, legal official investigations into what went on based on uh, the evidence presented in, in that, in that movie. So um, what I, what I see as a, as a positive and a hopeful um, trend, if you will, is that um, at the local level, and for many reasons, I mean, not just Dinesh D'Souza's movie, 2000 Mules, uh, which was um, eye-opening, but also um, other presentations. For example, uh, I don't know if uh, you or the listeners maybe have uh, had a chance to watch some of these legislative hearings. And another one was just held out in Arizona this past week, uh, Maricopa County, where uh, the absolutely brilliant um, polymath, Jovan Pulitzer, spoke again um, about various, very specific um, issues and, and questions um, about um, the uh, electoral process, especially there in Arizona. So what I'm seeing is that at these local levels, um, and, and because of these various different things, the hearings, the movie, the whatever, um, that, that people are ever so much more aware of what went on in, in, in the lead up in the, uh, you know, the election year of 2020, lead up to, to November, um, and um, are stepping up, you know, not just themselves to, to uh, run for office, like let's say school board or, or library board or city council or, or what have you, um, but, but also to step up and be trained to be poll watchers and election officials for the midterms coming up this year in November, 2022. So that level of, of participation by citizens is what you really wanna see. And it's, it's heartening to see, and it is happening. And that's what's going to make the difference, I think. Well, who was the founding father? The quote, I'm going to butcher it, but it was like the, the best bulwark against tyranny. Something, it's like, wasn't even the Second Amendment. It was like a well-informed and aware populace. You well, I'm, I'm not sure about? which one you mean, but it, it sounds right. Well-educated. Um, and I mean, you know, uh, uh, liberty uh, is, is only defended by eternal vigilance, uh, mm-hmm. Thomas Jefferson. A republic, um, you can keep that's, it. That's an approximation of, of that quote. I got to find um, it now. That's right up here. The price of liberty is eternal uh, vigilance. I'm looking up on, on um, the little saying I've got uh, with a magnetic. Uh, um, 
up on my up on my file cabinet. Uh, the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. Maybe that's something like that. But yeah, absolutely. And you know, maybe we as an American people had slacked off a bit and sure. um, you know not paid as much attention as as we ought to have had. But I think uh, as we ought to have. But I, I think that's really changing now. I'm seeing it at the local level, and I think that's really important. Sometimes you have to slack off and uh, get burned or get a kick in the ass before you kind of get back to it. You know, sometimes you have to, sometimes you have to like, you know, see yourself from a different angle in a picture and go, Oh God, I really have put on a couple pounds and you go, all right. Okay. Enough of the, enough of the cheese doodles. You're like, okay. Noted. Got it. Good. I put should, the okay. Cheetos away. Exactly. Step right. Away from the Cheetos. Step away from the Cheetos with your hands up. Right. <laughs> but, but you kind of have the like, you know, I should get it back in the gym. I know I'm older. My metabolism's slowing down. Like, yeah, but it's kind of all these things. And then, like, you maybe like says the 31 year old. Okay, well, I was 18, and I could take a day <laughs> off of of Cheetos, and I'd have an eight pack. So, in my mindset, I'm an old archaic machine. But the point is, is you have these things that you know you should do, right? It's versus oh, it's like right after my concussion, I was like, I don't need to take this that seriously. And I was trying to do a podcast. And I like couldn't remember the name of like it was probably like you or Dale, like people I have on every week. And I was like, okay. So, but um, one of the the quote, uh, an educated citizenry is a vital requisite for our survival as a free populace. Thomas Jefferson. Okay, you found so, it. Okay. Yeah. So Very it's much so. yeah. It, that is a huge thing where it's like you have. To, I mean, really, it's a fancier way of saying uh, you know, if you don't know your history, you're bound to repeat it. Well, you know, we we as Americans have have lived through, um, I mean, you say a post World War II period. Put it put it that length of time, um, in which there was rising prosperity overall. Oh yeah. Um, there was there was, um, you know, a, a, a uh, maybe a kind of a complacency that 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 mm-hmm. crept in, that we thought kind of things were on autopilot, and we. We didn't have to pay all that much attention. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, race riots in the 60s when our cities burned down and, um, you know, uh, other events, 9-11 for sure, uh, definitely got our attention. But, but overall, I think there was a sense or a feeling that our institutions were, uh, were, were still Concrete. functioning. And, and, and functioning well. And in fact, that wasn't so. They were slowly eroding and being eroded, actively corroded by malign forces, including the forces of Marxism and communism. Um, but we didn't notice it because perhaps uh, it was so gradual. And now we do. It's kind of like that moment when you grow up and you realize your parents are just people and you're like, Oh, it's not, it's not mom and dad. You're like, Oh, they're people too. Like they're terrified. They don't have all the answers. You know, when you're a kid, they're invincible and you get older and like, Oh dude, they're balancing checkbooks too. Like they're, and it's this sort of, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, Oh, they're just people. I mean, like you go, Oh, these are the common things that yeah. Families have to do. They're not gods when you're little of course they are you know they they they're just, they control your life when you're five years old and that's kind of what it is is like 
the big white columns of the whatever building, the Supreme Court or the FDA or the CDC or the DOD or DOJ or whatever. And you go, oh, these aren't, you know, these aren't infallible. They can be, they're, they're made up of people and you can boil the frog. You know, you can't take it on in a year, but you can over 50 years, you can slowly turn up the dial. And then you don't, it's, I mean, it's, it's one of my favorite analogies. It's the tsunami analogy. I think it was Ray Kurzweil, the futurist, uh, who talked about the way uh, new technologies arise. It's much like a tsunami. There's a, a shifting of tectonic plates in the middle of the ocean. It creates a massive shift in, in, in water. And a wall of water is moving towards a coast. And unless you're looking at it with satellites or early warning buoys, you don't see it. Even when it's on the horizon, when it's overcome the curvature of the Earth, you still don't see it because it's a uniform line and it's just coming at you. And it's not until it starts to break and it breaks onto land. But if you take the lifespan of a tsunami from the moment it was created by the shifting plate to the crashes ashore, I mean, think of like 2004 when in Indonesia, you can find all those videos. The actual crashing is like 1% of 1% of its lifespan, but it doesn't, but it's not correlated. It's, it's, it's been coming. And that's kind of how I look at maybe something like 2020 in its entirety. A lot of things seems like in my limited, and my limited wisdom seems like it was the manifestation of things that have been coming for decades. Well, they, they absolutely have. I mean, we've talked, I think with you before about uh, W. Cleon Skousen's book, The Naked Communist and the mm -hmm. clearly articulated 45 goals of communism today which were presented by communist and maybe former communist uh, witnesses uh, to the different um, uh, hearings held in Congress, early 1950s, that's where they came from. But um, there, there, was, there was not an awareness or maybe there was an unwillingness to look at our fellow Americans um, as, um, you know, motivated uh, by, by malign forces, um, maybe even co-opted by those malign forces like communism, then Soviet, now uh, Chinese Communist Party. Um, the, the, we, we don't wanna look at, at fellow Americans that way, but we need to, because this is how republics, um, are destroyed from within, not, not necessarily by, um, you know, an assault and attack or invasion from, from outside. The fifth column. But, but, but corroded from within by the betrayal and the treason of, I'm sorry, our fellow Americans sometimes, but under the influence of an external force. Here now, the Communist Party of China, under that, that, uh, uh, strategy and, 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 and program aimed at us, but that Americans succumb. Americans are co-opted. They are betraying their country. And we just didn't want to believe that, but, but we have to. Uh, Kent Clisby, former CIA, talks about in his book, Willing Accomplices. A huge thing is to, uh, is to provide, uh, what is, uh, it's almost like plausible cognitive dissonance or something. I'm sure I'm butchering whatever term it was, but it's the the person you're co-opting, no matter how much they're on board with communism, there is a part of that person 
for the vast majority of the cases, sure, there are some psychopaths. But the vast majority of people, despite how on board they are, there is a part of them that's saying, I'm betraying the people to the left and right of me. And what you have to do is provide them any sort of just shred of truth or whatever in order them in order for them to grab onto and then be able to develop their own cognitive dissonance. Like this is for the greater good. This is for like, yes, it's painful betraying your fellow countrymen, but it's for the, well, the, I, the I, work. yeah, that, that'll work with some people. Um, I'm not sure that's the majority of those who betray their country. Okay. I'm being, I'm um, they, being they too... long ago, you know, gave up any, any shred of uh, integrity yeah. and honesty. That's, um, that's the other thing. Goes into. Loyalty yeah. to their country and their, their fellow Americans in return for whatever it is they're being provided, uh, be it money, uh, be it uh, professional recognition, um, you know, admiration, plaudits, uh, wh- whatever it may be, in return for that, they are absolutely willing well, that's, um, that's to, a... to uh, go down the wrong path. And maybe I'm being too, uh, giving them way too much benefit of the doubt, regardless if they have a, a, bit of cognitive dissonance or not i think they should all be hung from the neck till they're dead but clisby calls his book willing accomplices because he goes and there's a lot he's like and make no mistake there are a lot that there's no there's no you're not fudging the numbers there are a lot that know exactly what they're doing and they are enemy combatants and but much like a like a vaccine or an inoculation and this is the optimistic you know you know wide-eyed tommy if it doesn't kill you, you can produce long-lasting immunity to it. If we can get out of this, we will come back stronger. If it kills us, it obviously isn't going to help. But it can serve as a kick in it. I don't think it's a death knell. I think a lot of people think it's a death knell and the country is over. And maybe they're right. I don't know. No, 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 no. I mean, go, go, go back to what we started out today with. And, and, and those were the hopeful signs. I, I really return. do think that. I yeah. do. Yeah. Um, to kind of shift from there now, any more expectations on a on a date of invasion by China to a Taiwan? That's one thing I've been focusing on. I'm, I'm, that sounds so like privileged and, and detached yeah, well, kind of bored of the Ukraine. I'm, I'm um, more focused on China, Taiwan. Yeah, no, we're we're looking back, of course, to the May 14 uh, leaked audio recording of this meeting that took place in Beijing among top leadership of the Chinese Communist Party and uh, officers of the People's Liberation Army, the PLA, uh, and in particular, those from the coastal province of Guangdong. And um, in that audio, we heard those officials talking about um, moving China from a civilian, uh, a peacetime uh, status to, to, to war footing uh, and the time frame given was that in this month of June, now just past, um, uh, the, the beginning of, of the organization, of the administrative organization, as well as production of certain things uh, like military equipment and, and weaponry would, would begin, and that uh, the date, um, target date for uh, takeover of Taiwan would be uh, October of this year, 2022, no later than November 
which also, by the way, is the month when the current party chief, Xi Jinping, um, stands for uh, re-election um, by the Politburo of the Central Committee of the Chinese Communist Party to what he hopes will be a third term as the party leader. Um, and along with that um, set of plans for, for invading Taiwan, um, those at this meeting on the audio tape talked about clearing uh, the South China Sea, uh, perhaps more than that, East China Sea, Sea of Japan, Philippine Sea, but, but out to the first island chain, um, out from the, the Asian mainland, uh, meaning that there of necessity, if they do that, would be conflict um, in international waters with shipping of the United States, naval and otherwise, uh, and of our allies like Japan, like Australia, like the Philippines. Um, so that's, that's, the, uh, that's the background to this. And um, since then, what we've seen is what, what, what looks to me uh, increasing um, aggressive behavior by uh, the PLA, uh, for example, um, flying together uh, with Russia, nuclear capable bombers over the Sea of Japan, while the US president, uh, Joe Biden, happened to be in Tokyo earlier this? Uh, this, this month uh, as a demonstration. Um, things like um, <laughs> the, the attack, I think maybe we talked about it in your show, but certainly in others I did, um, the attack by the, the PLA's Navy um, against um, a, a coral reef, basically consisting of some great big rocks sticking out of the water, but, but administered, claimed by Japan, and surrounded those, those rock outcroppings, not inhabited, but surrounded by concrete structures called tetrapods, because four-footed concrete things that uh, were intended to protect the outcroppings of rock from waters of high tide, washing over them and, and maybe even submerging them. Anyway, the Chinese attacked those concrete structures, destroyed them, uh, leaving uh, the outcroppings of rock to be maybe uh, you know, swamped over by, by, by waters of high tide. Uh, and one more example recently was when a Chinese um, military fighter jet um, released chaff. Um, this is iron, what? Yeah, like a, a me metallic uh, bits. Yeah. Um, uh, in the very close vicinity of uh, an Australian um, surveillance plane, not a fighter jet at all, but a surveillance um, uh, aircraft, uh, in a way that. Um, the, the, the chaff could have, and maybe some of it did, get into the engines of that Australian plane, could have caused it to crash. Um, thankfully, it did not. It was able to land. The pilot was able to land it. Um, but, but so these are just some of the recent examples, um, along with, you know, incessant um, overflights of um, Taiwanese uh, um, airspace by Chinese uh, fighter jets, and the recent declaration uh, from the leadership of the CCP um, that the Strait of uh, Taiwan 
is not international water, uh, which of course, according to the UN's law of the sea, uh, it is, uh, meaning that US and, and, and other vessels freely can pass through it at any time. So all of this seems to me to be ratcheting things up, ratcheting up tensions, um, ratcheting up provocations, trying to goad the Japanese, for example, I wrote about this in a Newsmax blog of mine, goad them you know, into some um, you know, military reaction, a military response that really in, in an atmosphere as tense as this could, could set off uh, conflict. So um, those are the updates that I can think of for right now. Um, but you know, it, 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 it seems that uh, Xi Jinping and the top leadership of the CCP are very much determined uh, to achieve this objective of uh, taking over Taiwan uh, and in coming months this year. It's kind of, I didn't know about the nuclear capable bombers flying nearby when Biden wasn't a that's I mean provocative. Yeah. That's definitely a sign of no fear. That, no know, respect you, anyway. Yeah. But I'll add one thing to that, and that is that um as as your viewers, listeners probably know, the Japanese since World War II um have have called their armed forces defense forces and very much according to the constitution limited um you know, the, the development of, of, of certain weaponry and so forth uh, for, for that military, um, you know, always putting it strictly in the context of defensive armed forces for the defense of the homeland of the, of the homeland Japanese islands. Well, the senior leadership of Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Ministry of Defense of Japan, and the Prime Minister himself, uh, Fumio Kishida, Hey, they've all issued repeated statements um, over these past weeks and months, um, warning in, in pretty explicit terms, warning Beijing uh, that an attack on Taiwan will be considered a national security threat to Japan. Mm-hmm. If you think about the geography and how close the Japanese islands, some of them anyway, lie uh, to Taiwan. Um, you, you can see why they would they would be uh, you know making those statements. So, uh, in an attempt at um, deterrence, obviously, um, U.S. Uh, providing uh, training and and uh, defensive weaponry, more of it to Taiwan. Um, but you know the the the, uh, the theme of all of this is ratcheting tensions, and that that is concerning. Well, we look back at this. Of course, because you have a crystal ball. Are we going to look back at this in a year or two and say it was all bluster? Because, I mean, even in my short life, there's so many times where, you know, I've heard like, oh, this is going to escalate into World War Three, And then like, and then it doesn't. And that's not the well, same. I mean, remember, remember what a lot of leadership, well, Western well, European well, leadership, well, NATO leadership, U.S. leadership were saying before the February 24, yeah. this year, 2022 invasion by Russia of Ukraine, um, you know, that they uh, were not sure that would happen. And there are plenty right. of reasons why it might not have happened, including all the results that we see right now, which is the devastation of the Russian military, the destruction of its economy, 
um, you know, its relegation to pariah status, uh, taking its leadership to the International Court at the Hague for war crimes, all of that um, thought perhaps to have been deterrence to, to launching that attack in the first place, but, but then they did it anyway. Uh, and all the results that everybody foresaw as potential deterrence played out. So uh, obviously the Chinese leadership is watching what's going on in Ukraine and uh, with regard to the Western, especially US, but NATO, you know, response um, to uh, that invasion. Uh, I'll mention one other thing with regard to NATO, and that is that for the very first time, uh, senior NATO leadership, I believe Stoltenberg, um, actually was talking about an extension of NATO interests to the Far East, to China. And if you think about warfare now, I'm reading, for example, um, retired General Robert Spaulding's second book right now. I'm just about done with it. I'm trying um, to get him but on he, uh, he lays out, he, he, he goes through uh, the 1999 uh, PLA's book, Unrestricted Warfare, chapter by chapter, and uh, gives really good insight analysis of those chapters. Well, the, the point that he's making as I'm getting towards the, the very end of the book is that um, as NATO is now realizing, um, warfare is not geographically constrained necessarily anymore. And certainly in the, in the CCP unrestricted warfare concept of warfare, everywhere Every. and everything is a battlefield. Yeah. So for example, what if the Chinese were to unleash a massive cyber attack in cyberspace against one or more NATO, NATO countries. countries. Is that article Is that five? an attack on all uh, that would trigger an Article 5 response? What if, what if um, you know, Beijing were to launch an attack in space against some of our satellites? Um, is that a trigger, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> a trigger for uh, Article 5 of NATO. It's not on Earth. It's not tanks or planes or ships or troops. But that's an attack um, very much so on, on the national security of, of, of whosoever, you know, satellites those are, right? Um, so the concept, the way we think about warfare has to change. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's not just, um, I mean, the, the, the kind of warfare that Russia is waging against Ukraine, which in a lot of ways is um, kind of a throwback, a, a primitive kind of a throwback to an yeah. earlier era of imperialist expansion. In, invasion and tanks invasion and Invasion and, and uh, destruction. And, and, it is kind of old that's school. That's not how the Chinese think about warfare anymore and haven't for a long time. Warfare is everywhere. And if you read Unrestricted Warfare, it's in space, it's in technology, it's cyber, um, it is trade, it's economic. Um, so uh, Robert Spaulding's point in, in, in this book, which I really recommend, is uh, we have to shift our thinking. And he, he, as a matter of fact, retired 
uh, from his career at the Air Force as a uh, as a pilot. Yeah, B two Spirit uh, pilot. Because he could not get senior leadership at the Pentagon and the DoD was... to understand modern concepts of warfare, they were still stuck in a von Clausewitzian, you know, paradigm of of warfare, and their little brains couldn't grasp the magnitude of the expansion of the battlefield in this 21st century. And he could, General Spaulding could, does, and retired in order to precisely write books like these, speak, um, and, and, and explain the kind of warfare that we, we're up against now. So all of that by way of looking at Taiwan, yeah, that's a geographic entity. There are boundaries to the South China Sea, yeah. But the battlefield is way beyond that. Yeah, his, uh, he was removed from Obama's National Security Council because he was raising alarms about uh, the Belt and Road Initiative and their, uh, their monopoly mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. 5G infrastructure in, I think, South America and Africa. Uh, I read his first book, or I guess, I don't know if it's his first, his prior book, Stealth War. Um, yeah. And I, I, I had him on for that, I think, episode. If anybody wants to go find it, episode 160-something. Um, and I'm trying to get him on for his new book, but I can't get him. That'd be great. Um, yeah, it's uh, called War Without Rules. Yeah. War Without Rules, which is another way kind of saying unrestricted, unrestricted warfare, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what he laid out. That's what he laid out in stealth war. It was mm-hmm, like, it's not mm-hmm. going to be, it's not going to be the columns of tanks and the hundred battleships on the horizon. It's like, it's economic, it's currency manipulation. It's yeah. uh it's yeah, it's, it's closing down ports. It's choking up supply. It's and what he calls it. And I think it's like opening pages, a beautiful war that's being brilliantly executed. Like you have to respect him. He's like, it is the most lethal cutting edge form it's not what anybody expects but in that sense yeah you have to wonder does that extend to article five you gotta wonder i mean at what point yeah i mean is someone you know is someone sitting on evidence of of covid being leaked intentionally because they're fearful of it causing world war three would that not be article five i mean what seven million people worldwide are dead would that not be article five if you know they're in NATO countries, hey, you got to wonder where does it start, and then do you even want it to be that liberal? Like, do you want something like a a, a cyber hack to cause World War Three? I mean, it's I mean, leading up to World War One, it is kind of eerily similar to where we are now, and that so many you know so many heads of states and, and professors and generals and business tycoons are saying it can't happen. We're all too interdependent on each other. It, it's just, it's unthinkable because it would never happen. We would all lose more than we gained. And you know, the rest is history. And you kind of hear it now, like there can't be world war three. We're too interdependent. I don't know, man, we did it twice before with that same mindset. It cannot happen. Well, until it happens, I don't know. Yeah, so we're we're back to gloomy. Oh God! Do we have anything else positive, or was the Supreme Court the positive blip? Yeah, I I, I really uh, I, I really do take that as a positive going into this Fourth of July weekend. I think, it and is. Uh, I am rooting for South Dakota Governor uh, Christy Nome. 
um, whose request for a permit from the National Park Service to have a fireworks display uh, at Mount Rushmore for the 4th of July was denied for absolutely no reason except that the Biden administration doesn't like her. Uh, she has appealed and, uh, you know, we shall see. They really do hate this country. They do. Absolutely. They, 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 they do. generally yeah. hate this country and they hate themselves. And it's almost, if I didn't hate them so much, it'd almost be kind of sad because I think it stems from a place of self-hatred and betrayal. But they really hate this place. Yeah. I can't well, think of any other way to put it. <laughs> well, on that, Ms. Lopez, let's wrap this one up. And um, <laughs> I think, I do think that there's overall positive tone. Like those five cases aren't nothing. That's a huge trend. Yeah. I, I, that I, that's I really genuinely a, that. that's yeah. a, that, that's all jokes aside. I mean, yeah. Antonin Scalia is smiling down from someplace right now. Yeah. He's not spinning. He's not spinning in the grave. He's perfectly <laughs> still and happy. It is. Those are, yeah, that's not nothing. That's not speculation. That's not someone announcing a candidacy. Those are five concrete things that just got handed down by SCOTUS. Like I'll take it. Mm-hmm. I'll take it. It can't, it can't be greedy. I'm happy with that leading into 4th of July. I'll take the little win. And Ms. Lopez, helping me wrap this up. Anybody listening, a podcast will resume next week. I'm going away for 4th of July, as you all should, and celebrate uh, living in the best country in the history of man. And if you don't like it, move to China, you dirty commies. Ms. Lopez, I will put the links to all of your stuff. You're writing your article, your Twitter, in the description. As always, guys, please go check it out. And I imagine we'll resume next week. Awesome. I wish you and uh, all our listeners and viewers a very happy 4th of July. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much, Miss Lopez. You're the best. Everybody else, take care. God bless America.